Good morning, Vox. I feel grateful to be here this morning, uh, grateful to be healthy enough to be sharing with you from this place, specifically, uh, even as most of you are in your homes. I know, like we keep saying, we will be back here together again soon. It's been a while, though, since I've seen most of you. How is everyone? How are you this morning? That's a, that's a loaded question. Uh, and I'll, I'll say, to be honest, I've been pretty spent recently. The last couple months, really the last two years, I've been wiped most of the time. Uh, as I tried to think of what I could prepare for this morning, I just came up empty-handed. And I almost emailed Waylon 20 times to back out knowing that he would have been so gracious if I said, I just don't have a homily in me right now. But last month, I found myself at Lady Lodge with my husband just a few weeks after many of you were there this fall. Uh, For those of you that haven't been, Lady Lodge and the HEB Foundation Camps are a special part of our community. They're just a beautiful place for individuals, groups to retreat in the Texas Hill Country along the Frio River. And we were there. It was just a quiet retreat. There wasn't much programming. And it was just space, time, no cell phones, kid-free. And we were just surrounded by the beauty of the hills and the Frio River. And I started to think maybe it was okay if I didn't have something profound to say this morning. That maybe we're all bombarded with enough somethings and stage updates and heavy news all week long that we could just use some space on a Sunday morning to be. Which is not to say that challenging conversations and spirit-stirring Messages aren't important, and I hope and I'm glad that we have those, but I don't have one of those in me right now. What I have is these few minutes of your time, and maybe we can create some space together. Not exactly like I experienced on the Frio River, but I'll try to bring that posture of meditation here this morning. With that in mind, I'm going to jump ahead to the final verse of our scripture today. We're going to kind of start at the end. Our psalm ends with these words. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And I know the words we say carry weight and meaning and deserve attention, But today I'd like to spend some time on that idea of the meditation of the heart. What that looks like, what that could be for us. The word meditation is one that I'm sure conjures up different images for each of you, and I'm not going to try and give a definitive meaning of meditation or tell you what it's supposed to look like or a right way for you to do it. In fact, I'm going to confess that I am really horrible at any definition of meditation. I am far less contemplative than I've been told I come across or than I would like to be. But I will share, I always love looking up the original words used in a given text. And in Hebrew, the word that's translated as meditation in this verse is also translated as resounding music. 
or whispering. So before we dive in, I want to ask you this question. What has your heart been whispering to you? What does the music of your heart sound like right now? Just take a minute wherever you are and reflect on that. We don't have to share those thoughts, but you're welcome to if you're at home and you're using the chat. Maybe you're mulling over deep theological questions or global concerns. Maybe you're distracted by the kids fighting or laughing in the other room. Maybe there's a stress in those whispers about that thing at work or a family member that's ill. Maybe your heart sounds joyful or just empty or any of a million other things. I just ask that you keep that in mind. Whatever it is that's been occupying space in your heart, And as we go through the rest of our text, I'll offer some thoughts from our scripture that may help us as we try to enter a posture of meditation. Let's listen to the beginning of Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. One day tells its tale to another, and one night imparts knowledge to another. I loved the imagery of this particular phrasing, This translation is from the Book of Common Prayer, and when I read it, I felt like I was in a story, like I was opening a children's book. I love the idea of one day telling its tale to the next. I even imagine the sun sharing stories from her day with the moon as they trade places, and then at dawn, the moon whispers his secrets to the sun before she rises. The psalmist goes on, Although they have no words or language, and their voices are not heard, their sound has gone out into all the lands, and their message to the ends of the world. There's a story being told, and it's not always written down or communicated with words or even songs. It's the story of God's heart. Whenever I think of the story God is writing with creation— I think of Sally Lloyd-Jones, who authored the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is a favorite in our house. Um, And by absolute chance, Sally was at Lady Lodge when Stephen and I were there last month. Apparently, she's one of the many writers that goes there to reflect and write and focus. And the parents who we met that weekend were all geeking out. I didn't recognize her, but another mom at dinner was like, did you see that Sally Lloyd-Jones? And all the parents who have read these stories with our kids were just like whispering and watching her. Did you see Sally Lloyd-Jones is here? And it's a somewhat anticlimactic thing to mention because I didn't have some profound interaction with her. I sheepishly asked her to sign some books and talked with her a little bit, but otherwise just sat in the presence of everyone there and felt excited to be in her midst. But here's why I mention her. Because unlike me, Sally is great at telling stories. Specifically, she's a master at finding the story beneath the story. She's tuned in to those whispers of creation. The wordless story God is telling through the moon and the sun and the waves and the mountains and us, his children. She says in the Jesus Storybook Bible, every story whispers his name. And the first story she tells in that book is based on our text for today, on Psalm 19. I'm going to hold it out for you like a librarian. Um, Let me read to you what Sally says in this psalm. 
She writes, The heavens are singing about how great God is. The skies are shouting it out. See what God has made? Day after day, night after night, they are speaking to us. God wrote, I love you. God wrote it in the sky and on the earth and under the sea. God wrote this message everywhere because God created everything in this world to reflect God like a mirror, to show us what God is like, to help us know God, to make our hearts sing. I think that's at the core of meditation. It's noticing the song our hearts are singing. It may be glad or angry or joyful or full of sorrow, and that's all okay. What I hope you hear is that you are God's creation, and the story you're telling with your heart is part of God's story. Our song is part of God's song. I know some of you are musicians, but maybe you're like me and don't feel particularly musical, so it's a little weird for me to think of my own heart having a song. But I can usually connect with a melody or a genre of music that resonates with how I'm feeling in a given moment. So I want to put this out there as a very simple practice. Whether you're musically inclined or not, what if we sat down this week and tried to tune into our hearts? Notice what's there and listen to a song that echoes those feelings. It may not be the kind of silent meditation we often think of or practice, but it can be a powerful way to connect with ourselves, our hearts. And as you do that, as you listen to whatever song that may be, remember that you, exactly, individually, beloved you, are part of God's song, God's story. Let's continue with our psalm. In the deep, he has set a pavilion for the sun. It comes forth like a bridegroom out of his chamber. It rejoices like a champion to run its course. It goes forth from the outermost, uttermost edge of the heavens and runs about to the end of it again. Nothing is hidden from its burning heat. Nothing is hidden. This phrase can either be ominous or comforting, but I don't think it's meant to be ominous. The imagery used in these verses isn't portraying God as a being that says, nothing is hidden, I will find all your faults and judge you for them. It's not invasive and creepy like a version of the police song, Every Breath You Take. God saying, every step you take, I'll be watching you. This is a joyous nothing is hidden. Like a bridegroom bursting from the chamber, a champion ready to run a race, so excited and full of joy to be able to see every inch of creation. This is how God feels about us. About us, I believe God wants to know and hear from every part of our hearts. If meditation is a kind of listening to our hearts, letting the whispers of our hearts be known and seen by God, then we should feel comfortable bringing exactly what we're feeling and thinking, right? Psalmists can be really good at this. The psalms are not a collection of filtered or edited songs and prayers. They record all kinds of celebrations and total failures and angry rants. Rachel Held Evans described how the psalms often contain a raw, unadorned expression of how much things can truly suck. There is no judgment, 
no admonition that the psalmist ought to be something other than what he is or feel something other than what he feels. But we, I, am often better at hiding my feelings and the parts of myself I'd rather not be seen. Churchgoers can be especially prone to this, even in our prayers and meditations. We're trying to hide, to be the perfect Christian or daughter or student we think our pastors and parents and friends and even God expects us to be. As a lifelong perfectionist who is easily embarrassed by the tiniest slip of control and exposure of a mistake, I am well-practiced at hiding. I don't want you to see all of my slip-ups and failures, but I'm starting, starting to realize that my hiding isn't helping anyone, least of all myself. It's only been in the last 10 years, really the last few years, that I've begun to confront some of that perfectionism. Thank you, therapy and Brene Brown. I'm beginning to, very slowly, at best embrace or at a minimum not feel shame because of my perceived faults. And I think we're starting to see more of this in our culture. I think about Simone Biles last summer in the Olympics when she decided to stop hiding the mental struggles that her and other athletes were facing. It was so hard, but it was so beautiful. And I crave more of this. I think we all do. I really want to see it happen in the world of parenthood. There is so much hiding because of perceived pressure to get it right all the time. Starting with whether or not a person even wants to become a parent or can easily conceive or adopt or can find a partner to start a family with. Then there's all the books, the maddening Instagram versions of motherhood, the gaps I fill in when I see other people with their kids at church or at Target or at the park. It can feel like such a high-stakes game. And I bet others of you feel this in your arenas too, whether you're a student or an artist, it's at your work, it's in your home. We feel like we need to be a certain version of ourselves. So we pretend. We make vague statements like, gosh, it's really hard, but it's such a joy too. We tell half-truths, not allowing ourselves to feel the fullness of the joyful moments and hiding the parts that are painful the shame and the fear and the meltdowns, we hide. And then one day a couple years ago, I didn't. I texted my friend the actual details of a totally awful morning, the verbatim horrible words I said to my kids and the specific thing I did afterwards. I told her the whole unedited story. And you know what she didn't say? Oh my gosh, Kelly, you are the worst mom ever. I don't want to be around you. I don't want my kids around you. I'm not going to be friends with you anymore. No, she texted me back with so much understanding and then shared her own failure from that day, feeling freer to tell me her truth because I told her mine. She and I became closer than we ever were before. It kind of felt like something broke that needed to break that day. You know what I mean? And we both point to that day and that text as a moment when we stopped hiding, when we became more honest with each other. That day and the work of the last many years of my life has led me to believe that we don't have to hide our slip-ups or the fact that we make them all the time. 
When we come to God and each other with our whole selves, we become even closer than we ever could have been when we were trying to be perfect. As we come to our moments of meditation, whether we're entering with anxiety, joy, sadness, celebration, fear, hope, uncertainty, eagerness, or stuck in a loop over some mistake we've made, like the psalmist, we don't have to feel anything other than exactly what we feel in that moment. We can just be. God comes rushing toward us because God desires the closeness that comes when we stop hiding and allow ourselves to be seen. This is what meditation can be. It's letting our songs be happy or scared or silly or jealous or empty and not trying to hide any of the less perfect notes. I think sometimes the meditation of our hearts is just the act of allowing our whole selves, our whole hearts to be seen by God. A meditative practice to try sometime could be to write your own psalm with that honest spirit we find in so many of the biblical psalms. Maybe read a few to get yourself in the mindset. And then write down or say to yourself exactly what's in your heart at that moment without hiding. Pay attention to how that feels. And if you're feeling up for it, maybe text or email it or share it with a friend or trusted family member. I wonder if you would find closeness through that experience, either with God in your writing and meditating or with a friend if you choose to share your psalm. Our passage this morning told us that there is a story being told through creation. It's not heard in words or shouts always, but it's told every day when the sun rises. And friends, you are part of God's beautiful creation. You are part of God's song. The whisper of your heart is known and loved by God. All of it. Nothing has to be hidden. You are heard and loved. I hope this conversation has opened up some possibilities of what the meditation of the heart could look like for you. Maybe it was the phrase resounding music or the whispers of creation or the song of your heart. Maybe it was a chance to imagine letting more of yourself be seen with God or with those around you. I hope some of it resonated with you. I hope you felt a little of that calming presence of the Frio River. I was actually able to find some recordings that someone took of the sounds at Lady Lodge. And it's amazing how that sound, the song of the river, the wind rustling the leaves, really transports me back to that place. So as we close today, I'll read my own paraphrase of the final verse of our psalm as a prayer over us. And in the background, you'll hear those recordings from Lady Lodge. Vox, may the stories we tell with our words and those meditations that are wordless, whispered in our hearts and echoed in the songs we sing, be seen and known and loved by you, God, the divine storyteller and rescuer of all things. Amen.